A Walk Among the Stars, The Monsters, The Paranormal, and Supernatural. Join your tour guides, Justin and Josh, on this cryptic journey through life and beyond. What you may not know is you've been on this journey for a long time, and you finally arrived. Join us and our cult by subscribing to this podcast and giving us a generous five-star rating. With doing so, your soul will be set and the afterlife defined. Welcome to It's Cryptic Out There. What's up? How's it going? I have no name. No name? Nothing. Nothing. It's been a wild week. Yeah. It's been the wildest week for this podcast. Uh, I'd say one of the wildest week for me personally. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Too. You know? Yeah. yeah it's been crazy. This yeah. is the first time Justin and I, we have so much to talk about, and we haven't even really talked about it, so this is... Why don't you, you know... Elaborate? Elaborate, yeah. Oh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, I guess it all started uh, episode 33 when I first came on the podcast. You want me to go back that far and start? Probably not. <laughs> uh, I guess it started Monday, right? Is that when the LA Times dropped? Sunday night. Sunday night, yeah, around 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. LA Times dropped, got mentioned, um, which was really, really cool, um, especially for small town podcasts. That is true. Uh, I think Justin and I have talked about a lot on this podcast, like how much it means to us to be from Giles County and how it's really molded who we are. And even in Appalachia to embrace that. So everyone who watches sincerely from the bottom of our hearts, like thank you. Thank you so much uh, for how cool this is and awesome and how much I love like to be part of this and to see success come from it. The LA Times, the Richmond uh, interview and everything. It none of that would be possible, you know, if you guys wouldn't have helped us spread the word. You Absolutely, know? Yeah. yeah. Um This Austin Lee Edwards story has really uh it's just getting crazier and crazier. Uh, yeah. And uh, And now we're connected. We are connected. They're to deeply it. connected, you know, if, in, in an emotional way too. I mean, Justin and I have been able to speak to the victim, you know, and really express our thoughts to her. Become friends, really? Yeah, become friends. I'd say. Yeah. Um, which, thank you. Yes. You know, thank you so strong and brave and courageous and yeah. honestly, like to do what you did is just so admirable, right? You know, and if it wasn't for you know us helping her, 
her story wouldn't have been in the LA Times. It no. wouldn't have been in all these other news outlets that's just copied and pasted the LA Times. Yeah, yeah, you know, and what we talked about, and even in the uh, Jerry Smith case, what we talked about was since he's dead, all the people that he abused or went through, you know, all of that, yeah. they don't get a chance to speak up or say anything, you know, or either they were too afraid to or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. At least she was able to. Right. You know, right. she, even though her abuser had died, she is able to make that peace. Right. You know? Closure. And, like yeah, said. closure. Yeah. Closure. 100%. So thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. Um, I yeah, it's not something we ever expected. No, <laughs> you know, no. It was it was kind of like fate in a way that we were able to help this person out because yeah. nobody was reaching out back. To yeah, her. yeah. You know, um, everybody had an opportunity to. Yeah, she she gave it a fair chance, and you know, I'm just glad we were able to do that. Yep, absolutely. Um, but. Dope as hell, too, man. I'm just going to get that out there. I was so excited. I was... It was just, like, so sudden that, yeah. okay, we're in, like, one of the biggest news outlets it in the country. only, like, three days ago. Four days ago. And it seems yeah. like it's been the longest week, too. I know, it? man. I know. It's, like, forever. Right. And the fact, like, like we were talking about when I first got here, it hasn't really hit yet. Exactly. Like, it's cool to sit there and be like, but we're kind of looking at it like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. very interesting. But it's it's great that we were able to, like, do justice in a way. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to keep bringing up the Jerry Smith case, but that's something, like, that I felt ever since then is, you know, how many people mm-hmm. do their abuser die or something like that, mm-hmm. and they don't get to come forward, you know? Yeah. Which also kind of makes us, makes me think, like, makes me want to continue to do this. Right. You know, when you have, when you help somebody like that and everything we're changing. We're connected now, and I mentioned this to Josh. I know some of you may want different content, and we are going to present different content, um... But it just keeps getting crazier and crazier, so we have to, you know, continue the story, it seems yeah. like. At least for me, maybe for you. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I think it has its moments. Um, we're definitely seeing more come out. Yeah. I think it's going to get deeper, especially after we talk to yeah. Mr. Pike um, <laughs> yeah. and see what he has to say and... Even some of the stuff that I've seen, like I saw from actually the lady who wrote, Aaron Morgan, who wrote the LA Times article that mentioned us, she had shared something where they ne- the police never searched his second home. We're going to get into that, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know. Um, so there's still some things like that, which, you know, how much is... Another chapter. Yeah, you know, and it honestly, like, this exposes a lot of cracks mm-hmm. in a lot of systems yeah you know that's that's really what i think this case has done right. is shown where you know from even 2014 you know you had this guy one flawed system can create yeah. various problems how many people like 
how many pedophiles are out there, dude? It's this guy terrible. became a cop. Yeah. You know, that's something that still sets with me. I think about all the time, you know, if you guys would have been able to. I think that's still the mission that we're trying to figure out. Yeah. Is yeah. How did he become a cop? Yeah. How did it even get this far? Yeah. And hopefully who we speak to in just a moment will elaborate, elaborate more and give us and you all a better understanding because he is, uh, He's got some history, for sure. He's got some credibility and something that we won't say right now, but may um, spark up some more, uh, you know, reporters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just, you know. Maybe some headlines. I don't know. We'll just see what he says. Well, he's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it seems like anyone that you interact with who has any sort of, you know, knowledge. Is, yeah, yeah. Even the reporter that we talked to, yeah. it, like, there, everybody knows something different. Yeah, you know, right. It's real, real big. And we're all trying to find out everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just to be, gosh, my voice is cracking. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's just gonna, you know, talk our heads off. I'm sure with, the, I'm cool with that. Yeah, same. Uh. But before we go ahead and do this interview, um, please share the like and subscribe on YouTube, uh, Five Star the Podcast, if you enjoy it, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, the Patreon. If you want to become a member of the Patreon, it's only $5 a month. You'll get bonus content, early access, and stuff that we won't share on the regular show that may interest you. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll keep it a little cryptic. Also, if you don't like this show, uh, leave a five star and a funny <laughs> review. Right, right. We got one that said if you if if you like two guys who can't articulate as good as you are, and you're a high teenager, this is the podcast for you. But they still gave us a five star. And if you're listening right now, shout out to you. Shout I out. read that at work and I died <laughs> laughing. That was hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is what it is. Again. I don't. I don't speak native tongue. No, you know, from the from the mountains of Appalachia, man. Words, yeah. words mean a uh, nothing. No. Chow on Gil. Whatever that. Uh, oh, sorry. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get in touch with Pike and stay tuned for that. All right, everybody, we're here with Jeff Pike. Um, Jeff, if you would, introduce yourself to our audience. <clears throat> My name's Jeff Pike. Um, I'm based out of Wythe County, Virginia. I'm the president and CEO of Complete Surveillance and Investigative Services. Um, we've been in business. This is our 20th year. Uh, and prior to that, I was in law enforcement. Um, so what, what kind of law enforcement? Well, I started out, my actual first job was a game warden, okay. and I did that, and then I transitioned into a, um, a drug task force with the town of Pulaski, and I worked narcotics there, and then transitioned into Wythe County, and began as a narcotics investigator, and then worked general patrol, 
um, drug task force, I work DEA, uh, work cases, Florida, California. Uh, then I went to the city of Lynchburg and was hired straight in as a narcotics undercover uh, operative. Uh, I was sworn in in the middle of the night by the chief and the clerk of circuit court. And there was only one other officer that knew of my existence. So it was what was considered a very um, thought out and deep undercover operation. And I did that uh, and resulted in quite a large, uh, one of the largest narcotics uh, busts in the history of the city of Lynchburg. Wow. Uh, I received over my shoulder here um, the Honorable Service Award for that operation, which was the second highest award for the department. Uh, and then from that point, I started my business in 2002, uh, and then I've been in private sector since. But I still do criminal investigations uh, for defense attorneys and private individuals. So I kind of continued um, the investigative work. I do, but I'm an expert witness in a lot of different categories in law enforcement. So I still continue to do narcotics cases, uh, murder cases, rape cases, uh, along with the more um, insurance-related um, car uh, crash, um, workers' comp, um, witness interview, background checks, uh, a little bit of everything in the private sector. So you've seen probably some scary stuff. In my law enforcement career, yeah, it's pretty diverse. Yeah. Uh, you know, what I do now is not extremely exciting. I mean, some cases are more interesting than others or more challenging than others. Uh, but I always say, uh, you know, go into a drug neighborhood to buy crack by yourself. That's, you know, gets a little scary. It's oh, scary. yeah. Uh, and I've done a lot of undercover buys, a lot, you know, 100 plus buys on my own. Uh, you know, I had teams sometimes involved and sometimes it was um, uh, a, a lot more people involved, but a, not many people can say that they've done one-on-one -on -one drug buys or self-initiated drug buys where, you know, I may go into a bar or go into a bad neighborhood or go to places and hang out and develop leads into uh, drug traffickers and then facilitate those buys on my myself. Right. What what made you get into law enforcement? Why did it interest you? Well, yeah, well, my family, my father started as a police officer when I was six months old. So me and my brother, um, who just retired as chief of the Capitol Police, we grew up in it and in an era that you could not replicate today in that, you know, the first time I went in a jail, I was probably seven, six, seven years old. Wow. Uh, you know, and then my father became a sheriff, and it was kind of like Mayberry, but not quite as uh, bland. Yeah. Uh, so me and my brother, uh, you know, we were with my father if he pulled over a car. I mean, it's things you couldn't do today. You know, my dad would be in trouble for child endangerment, but it was a different era. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the 70s and 80s. So, you know, me and my brother went to crime scenes. Uh you know, it wasn't like we were collecting evidence, but we were there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we did some mundane things like if they were searching, you know, the counties used to run the jail. If they were doing search of jail cells, me and my brother would help out. Or <laughs> if they were feeding prisoners, you know, we would hand out the trays. Uh, if the old Tommy dispatchers, if they needed a bathroom break, 
you know, as teenagers, we could dispatch for a little bit. Again, you're not talking about a metro area. You know, somebody would call in and you'd write down, you know, car 22s on the traffic stop. But it, it kind of, um, uh, we grew up around it. So it was sort of our family business. Somebody, uh, direct relatives of mine have been in service from 1964 till today. Uh, my nephew is currently a sergeant in Henrico County. His wife's the police officer. So my father, me, my brother, my nephew. Um, so since 1964. A family uh, law yeah. <laughs> interest. Well, it's kind of like a bit. You know, you, you know the, the kid grew up and his dad was the insurance salesman or the kid's dad had the car dealership or the kid's dad was a plumber, you know, and, you know, they would haul the kid around with them doing a job. And so a lot of times that would segregate into their, you know, future employment down the road. Yeah, it really seems like, you know, it's your life's work, really. Um, you know, from the amount of uh, self-initiated deals, things like that, it seems like what's made you into you is the fact that you've had an entire life in law enforcement in some capacity. Sure. And, and when I first got out of school, you know, I worked in the insurance industry doing investigations and I worked for travelers and Erie insurance. At the same time, I worked part time in law enforcement. Um, so literally since I've been 20 years old, you know, I'm 58, 38 years of some type of, um, involvement uh, either in law enforcement directly or private sector. Again, in my private sector, you know, I do drug cases, I interview people, um, you know, I testify in court. You know, this year, this past year, uh, I've had four jury trials. Uh, I had a murder, uh, abduction, two drug cases, and then this month I've got another drug case uh, that I've been involved with. Wow. So... Directly. Telling the audience, he's he's very experienced, and this is going to help out with what we're going to talk about now. Um, when did you hear about the Austin Lee Edwards story? The first time I heard about it, it was posted on social media through a Facebook page called Scanner Food. And, you know, I don't know these people. I believe that they're mainly based in the Bristol area. Uh, but they post things like, for instance, today we had a murder in Wythe County or last night. And they seem to have some type of inside connection because most of your scanner and dispatch is encrypted now. Uh, but they seem to be sort of get the word fairly quick. And I assume that they have contacts in these different departments that are feeding them information. So the first post I saw was the general article where it said, you know, this guy committed the crime and you know other than reading the article and knowing what I know about these agencies my first post and you can go back through my Facebook um, I post I will guarantee that Virginia State Police and Washington County Sheriff's Office Human Resources is working overtime today that was my post yeah didn't Uh, know anything about it I just know based on the crime and how these agencies work and the fact that for this guy to do this, there would have had been problems prior to that. You don't do a crime that severe and you guys are as part of this as I am. 
Uh, all these investigative agencies, guess who gets, what, 4,000 messages? Yeah. Or yeah. What, however many it was. Yeah. Uh, and that just, that only just goes back to what I initially said. And what you know and what I know is only the tip of the iceberg. There, I will guarantee you there's a lot more out there that will come out. And, and there's probably a lot that will be covered up. And there's probably a lot that you'll never know of especially because of the platform he was using to communicate with tends itself to for to be an anonymous right um so this is kind of like a personal interest of you for you well i saw it and then the la times contacted me Hmm. and even though i'm based in withville i have clientele all over the united states uh and i have clientele in los angeles um, I have clientele literally uh, New York, Jersey, Connecticut, Florida, Texas, California, all over the place. And my niche is that there's not a lot of people in rural Southwest Virginia or Southern West Virginia that have a, 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 a diverse background, good qualifications. And we're in this rural area that, you know, there's not a lot of people that do it. Um, so I'm kind of the guy that's in the right spot with the right background and there's not a lot of other people that are out there doing that right so they reached out to me initially because they needed someone the reporters i dealt with um aaron and summer in dc and the people in in los angeles not only with the la times i dealt with the um, southern uh, california news group which is a conglomerate of about 15 newspapers uh, CBS News, ABC News. I just don't have anybody in Southwest Virginia. So I was the guy that you could call and say, you know, where's Southwest Virginia? How far is that away from here? What is? What do you know about the workings of things? So the LA Times got a rumor about this polygraph, and I reached out to my sources and was able to get my hands on it, and which basically blew the narrative of the state police of of no problems we didn't know anything um washington county not quite as bad but pretty similar hey he was a trooper we didn't know anything when in fact they did know something um and multiple people knew something and multiple people failed uh to allow him to become a police officer not one but two agencies are you are you able to elaborate, like, what's on the polygraph? Absolutely. Um, the polygraph was given by a state trooper. I verified that. Um, he was given the polygraph in Lebanon, Virginia, which they would have an area office in that area. He was from Richlands, Poundy Mill, which is Richlands, border, you know, Tazewell County. And... Uh, on that polygraph, um, he admits to, uh, and as he says, voluntarily committed himself to a mental facility. Yeah. Um, now, a polygraph is only a tool, and the, the majority of given a polygraph examination would be the interview and interrogation by the polygraph examiner. So if he said that to him, he would want to follow up and say, okay, where were you committed? What were the circumstances? What jurisdiction? What did it involve? So that the field 
background check person who is separate from the polygraph examiner would follow up on these things. But what I found as bad as that was in his polygraph, he admits to cheating on tests, academic tests. He admits to having financial problems and he admits to drug use, but he classifies his drug use as accidental, <laughs> which to me is a red flag that, you know, yes, it's possible, but, you know, I don't know of anybody that accidentally used drugs. Did he say... And then again, you... I'm sorry. Did, well, did, did he say what type of drug it was? Yeah, he said it was an edible, like oh, okay. a marijuana edible, gotcha. which again is not that big of a deal, but you're going to want to ask, uh, okay, where was this at? Who were you with? What were the circumstances? Uh, the report I have is sort of the final report where the polygraph examiner would have made or should have made detailed notes about these things. So what we have in the initial polygraph is, and if you had done just a little bit of checking, he's lied in it, he's admitted to cheating, he's admitted to financial problems, and he's admitted to drug use. Doesn't sound like a future cop. (laughs) Again, I've been asked that question. I don't know of any new hire that would have been employed with given just that unless he had some inside pull. Now, I have not been able to, uh, I have not seen any evidence of that. But I have seen people in the past that have kind of sketchy things go on and they were hired because their dad knew somebody, their grandpa was this, or, you know, their uncle was the senator. You know what? You know what I'm saying. I'm just using examples of somebody had some inside pull. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have a question? Yeah, just um. So far, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, all. I it got. only gets worse. Now you got to realize. So the story comes out. The state police has this narrative of, oh, we don't know anything. It was never a problem. Washington County's like. We did a background check. He's good to go. He's a state trooper. And then it starts to unravel with his polygraph. And then it gets, the more people dig, uh, then you have this crazy search by Washington County in another jurisdiction that was totally handled. I don't care who they put out there to explain that search. I can tell you how it should have been handled. And it wasn't the way they handled it of sending two deputies in the night to take out bags of who knows what and then go back the next day with a search warrant. That's I was gonna ask you that too. Um they were uh they were not on duty, is that correct? Well, I don't know if they were on duty or not, but we know that two deputies went there because apparently some neighbors witnessed it and videotaped it. Uh and Of course, they're claiming that they went to, because they were worried about victims or some other crime going on. Now, if you know anything about geographically the region, you know, if these deputies left Washington County, say Abington, where the sheriff's office is, it would have took them 30, 40 minutes to get there. Mm. So had I been the sheriff or in charge or whatever and got noticed, hey, your guy just killed some people out in California, this, that, whatever, 
you and you're and you're legitimately worried about a victim in this house or a dead body or something, you would have called the town of Saltville. They have police. You would have called Smith County. They got police. A town of Saltville police officer could have probably been there in under five minutes, if that. You would have you would have entered the house and cleared it, searched it. This is a small house. It would have took you maybe two minutes, three minutes tops. You would have come out, secured the scene. I would have gotten hold of some feds. They're based out of Abington. There's a federal courthouse there, FBI, ATF, DEA, somebody, because you know this evidence is going to have to go back to California. Secured the scene, took you 30 minutes to write a search warrant, go back with a search warrant, collect the evidence maybe that's pertinent to the scene, from an independent source, not Washington County, not your buddy who's the sheriff next door county, none of that, you got a fed there, collected any evidence, and then if there's police equipment there, sure, collect it, but inventory it. We took some uniforms, we took his police car, we took this, what? You'd probably wanna write a report. We're missing his gun? Is there anything, is his badge missing? Is his credentials missing? Is there anything missing? And, and documented it that way, and you know, you're 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 being impartial. You're handling a, a crime scene correctly. Uh, you know, to come up with this, we were worried about something, but we go in the night and we take who knows what out of there, and then we go back with a search warrant. Do you have a theory on what they might have taken out? I have no idea, but given this guy's uh, history and some of the stuff you guys uncovered, I would be afraid to imagine. Yeah. Was there child porn in there? Was there, you know, some kind of uh, very derogatory thing or photos that may be associated with these agencies? Well, I mean, he he had nude photos, or he got nude photos from that girl, Mm -hmm. uh, from the victim. Um, and either I guess she would have sent it through whatever they were using Skype yeah. yeah so either those photos if he never would have deleted them he could have saved them and you know I mean there are people who get busted with hard drives full of child uh, pornography yeah. well I mean think about this if the sheriff's office went in there and there was some very derogatory photo say and I don't know this I'm just saying Say he's in a uniform doing something yeah. perverted. What do you think happened to that picture? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask. Well, we, we don't know. Yeah. But you would want to make sure that nobody questions it. Yeah. I was going to ask, when they do all this, do they really know the everything that had happened? You know, you said they called and said, hey, your guy just killed these people. And then they go do this. Do they really know at this point that he had had, you know, the child pornography and stuff like that, or is this just like, uh, oh? Well, I don't think. I don't think at that point they knew. I think they knew they had a deputy that killed some people and was involved in a shootout with the cops and all that. Because it. Because. That, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, it just makes me wonder if this is a. We need to cover this up because this guy was a pervert and blah blah blah. Or is this just police acting 
in a, you know... Is there more bad apples? Yeah, is there more bad apples there? Is that a department of bad apples to act in a way, like you just said, that's not the appropriate way to handle things? And at this point, all they knew is that their guy killed somebody, killed some people somewhere else. I think it's more simplistic than that. I think that uh, he'd only been employed with them a short amount of time, and I think there may have been an initial mindset that let's get in here, remove any traces that he's associated with us, and you got to realize... You know, all the sheriffs have to run for election next November. Yeah, and I think that uh, you would you would you would not be very intelligent to think that you were going to get away with it, especially when my sources tell me that the firearm used had Washington County Sheriff's Office stamped Ooh. on the slide. I don't know that a hundred percent. Yeah, just tell you, people are telling me that, and that's how quickly they knew that he was associated with law enforcement in Virginia uh, to to know it that quick. Um, Another thing that I talked to some of the other media people about, when you carry off duty, it's normal policy to carry your badge and credentials. I haven't heard anybody mention where his badge and credentials are at. Um, So, you know, if he had his badge and credentials and his guns marked in some obvious way, then the first cops are going to say, shit, this guy's a cop. Yeah. And that's the first thing you I mean, I can imagine myself on the scene of this going, the hell is going on? This guy's a cop. You know, here's his badge and credentials if he had them with him. So uh, I think initially they wanted to distance themselves from it. And then I think the state police, um, again, wanted to, you know, he was fine, no problems, and it's not our problem. So they want to soften the impact of this. And unfortunately, the saying is the cover-up is worse than the crime, and this is a very hideous crime, and it's hard for me to say that, but think about it. In law enforcement, the trust in the community is probably at the lowest it's ever been. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd say that's, you know... So, if if you had if you had been smart and then not smart but if you wanted to have done the right thing you would have said we really messed up here we're going to get to the bottom of this we messed up the public is much more forgiving of a mistake when you admit to it they're less forgiving of deceit and finding out more stuff exactly i so when you lie about something uh, and it starts to come out, the, the public's trust in you is it's only emboldened to think less of you than if you would say, if Josh were to say, you know, I made this big-ass mistake and, you know, it's terrible, and you're like, Josh, you know, we'll figure it out, we'll get to the bottom of it. But if Josh makes that mistake and then lies about it to Justin, then Justin's going to go, what's going on with Josh, you know? Yeah. I find it it very ironic, you know, for the police in this situation. When you watch cops or anything like that and someone runs away and they're like, why are you running? Why are you running? Well, I just was afraid, you know? And it makes me wonder if in this case, you know, they're afraid. Like you said, you're up for re-election. There's so many things that are riding on the possibility of what could come out of that house or out of this case 
that for you it might or for them it might be easier to or easier I say but you know that fear of let me just take care of this you know I am the law or whatever you're thinking in that situation of I can control it and if I can control the narrative then I can control everything Sure, and their narrative right now is going to be that there was this clerical mistake where you enter a gun purchase compared to a criminal history. Now, they have access to both. It's a matter of hitting one button and 30 seconds later hitting another button, and they're going to come up with, we've resolved this, so you can hit one button and get both data services, or both data searches. That's nonsense. Why wouldn't you have done both to begin with? But let me say this real quick. The latest story to come out, if you want to uh, pursue this narrative of worried about people and victims and stuff, why in the hell did you not search an apartment in Richmond? Yeah, yeah. When this guy could be connected to a cold case, a runaway, an unsolved homicide, you don't know what is in that apartment that, you know, I know the guy's dead. They probably figured out everything in California, but you guys have proven he has a history of this. That girl that contacted you is not the only one. Can't be. I will no. That. no. So, if you had done that search, you don't know what other crimes you could have solved. Uh, you know, there could be a dead body out there somewhere. Yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the article... Uh, for the listeners and viewers, we're talking about an article that came out where the police never searched Austin's apartment. Not his house, but his his apartment that he was living in. Um, I think in the article it said something about once it's evicted that all evidence can be destroyed. Sure, the, the landowners could do whatever they want to with the contents. And again, the uh, evidence collection aspect of things are totally ruined when you have somebody monkeying around with whatever the contents of the house is. So he lived there. Uh, We did some address history checking. He was there for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. What I assume he did was he got the apartment when he went into the state police academy and he lived there when he was off from the academy. And he was in transitioning to purchased the house in Saltville. Uh, I talked to some real estate people here just this past week, and they described that he had bought that residence sight unseen and only had a few kind of bizarre questions about the basement, how dark the basement is, and if he could tint the windows of the house, and just some odd type questions that you normally wouldn't associate with purchasing a, a home. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, he's been this predator for years now, you know, up to buying this home. You know, I bet just my, my personal speculation is that I bet he was getting to that next step of possibly kidnapping somebody or something like that, especially when you're asking these questions, you know. And sure. if it's far away and it's away from everybody and, you know, it's no, it's no thing, like, there's just, it just leads you in that direction, yeah. you know, for, and I'm really glad you've brought up a lot of this stuff, I meant to say that earlier, because for 
I mean, me and Justin, and then I'm, I guarantee a lot of the people at home, they don't know the inside processes of what it takes to hire a, a police officer or a state trooper, you know. That narrative that you're talking about, it is bullshit to say, oh, it's like a gun purchase. Well, that's just you trying to fool the public who don't, who don't have the knowledge to know any better. And it would never have made any difference because I have the letter from the Colonel of State Police where he explains the media outlets the process. And he goes through that, you know, you have the initial application, you do an interview, physical agility, you do a mental evaluation, and then you have a polygraph guy, then you have a field investigator, and according to the letter from the Colonel of the State Police, it was then scrutinized by four levels of supervision. So you start asking the question, does the polygraph guy really be deemed to do any more polygraphs? Mm, yeah. The background check guy really need to be doing any more background checks? Do these levels of supervision need to be, you know, doing what they did? And, and I can look at, and I have the application to the Washington County Sheriff's Office, it's a joke. They allowed him to use his father and best friend as two of his three references. Wow. Do you, that's not a reference. No. And then they tried to follow up with uh, some neighbors, and they listed as they weren't home, so they just, whatever. Uh, and then one of the references, which is very telling, too, is apparently a member of the state police, and he's encouraging him to apply to other agencies. Well, if he was a good trooper, just this week we had an article where we had four new troopers stationed in Wythe and Bland counties. They would have said, Mr. Edwards, give us a little bit more time. We're getting ready to graduate academy. We'll cycle the new guys in the Henrico. We'll get you closer to home. They're not going to encourage a, a guy that they just spent all this money and time with to run through a full police academy to apply to other agencies. That, yeah. to me, is super telling um, that, you know, if they want to, if you're a good officer, they're going to, and they're doing that now because they cut the academy down to a fraction of what you have to go through if you're already certified, which they never did before. Um, so they're going to make every effort to keep you and not go somewhere else, go somewhere else. To me, that's a very telling part of that application. Gotcha. <sighs> With all this being said, do you have a theory on, like, how was he able to, like, move his way into becoming an officer? Like, Well, you know, I don't think he really, you know, I know I had listened to one of y'all's earlier podcasts about fooling people. Obviously, he had to operate with some normalcy in society. However, uh, to maneuver his way into these positions should never have happened because it's there. It's there from the start. You know, not necessarily the perverted stuff that's in these conversations, which is beyond, you know, you're not talking about somebody playing grab ass with their girlfriend on the computer. This is perverted adult talking some of the worst things that you can imagine. You've seen it. I've seen it to an underage girl and multiple girls most likely um, you know it was there from the get go you should have saw you know once they said he threatened to kill his dad and kill himself 
Done deal. Yeah. Which, what a what a way to use your dad as a reference, and you want him to die. Yeah. <laughs> you With know, possibly like, that well, hatchet. Yeah. Like yeah. that's so well, crazy. The thing is, to put that in perspective, my father has the most incredible credentials of any law. I mean, he's a presidential appointee. Well. As the head, one of 93 United States Marshals in the United States. He worked two terms Bush, one term Obama. Wow. Uh, on the parole board. On the board, still abolished parole. He's worked on something for every, about every governor since 1980. And I'm not listing my dad as a reference. <laughs> that, I, that would laugh me out of the place. Yeah, I mean, he would be honest. And I tell people, the only ticket I've ever got in my life, you guess who gave it to me? Dad. My dad. <laughs> uh, That's how you know law enforcement. Driving a motorcycle without a license when I was 16. Nice. <laughs> That's how you know you've been born in law enforcement, you know? Yeah. If you know it's good to me, just because I'm the sheriff, you're no better than anybody else. And that's an honest story truth. Right. And that's cool. Uh, I don't know if uh, the ABC 8 News mentioned it, but we addressed it. There was a comment on a very popular YouTube YouTuber's uh, video where she talked about the the case. There was a comment that saying that uh, they were Austin's like really close friend. He staged the night over with her and her husband, and that they knew his of age girlfriend from California personally. Who is this mystery girl? We're trying to figure this figures this out. Um, I actually commented on that comment to see if she would reach out and you know talk with us, but I haven't heard anything. He must have went to go see her, saw her, because yeah. in the comment she said that the girlfriend was shocked. You know, he seemed normal. I mean, uh, they were talking this and that, and then after he visited her, I guess he went to go kidnap the fifteen-year-old and kill her family. See, I don't know anything about that timeline. The last uh, communications I had with L.A. Uh, was that the investigation was now focused solely on the data stuff, and that was taking some time. And given the amount of stuff that you guys had uncovered, I would think that there would be just this huge mass of communication, uh, not only with the girl uh, that he kidnapped, but maybe with other people. Right. Um, so, you know, I can only imagine it's probably quite a lot. Um, and, you know, that's my understanding of where the investigation is now. Um, my sources out there, again, I can't confirm this. Uh, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, talking to people who are out there who are probably way more in the know than either of uh, any of us are that, you know, there's some questions about how the family was killed, uh, that they possibly were not killed with a firearm, which leads you to think how much more brutal could this murder have been, you know, yeah. irregardless of how you do it. Um, how did he access the family? You know, where is the badge? Where's the credentials? Recording in progress. Okay, this good. meeting is being recorded. I'm glad you caught that now. Same, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, the Zoom messed up. It said that we needed to pay. Don't know why, but we're back here. Uh, where we left off was um, this mysterious girlfriend, and we're unsure how uh, 
the victim's uh, family was murdered. The possibility of them not being uh, killed with a firearm. Yeah, yeah. Which would have been possibly uh, his, the Washington County firearm that he carried, right? Is that a possibility? We do do know that the Washington County uh, firearm was utilized in the shootout with the police and utilized to kill himself. We do know that from the reports out there. Okay. And and I think we we skipped, and to go back, we might have skipped one another part of other than the polygraph. And, you know, I have it here. And, you know, again, I'm just a regular guy, just like you guys are. I don't have a badge anymore or whatever. And, you know, again, we got word of this committal and, you know, I've got the petition to access his order of treatment. And I have the order of treatment where his gun rights were revoked. Mm. And he could not purchase the gun and he could not do that until he went back to court and a judge reinstated his rights. the court clerk, by law, has to file that with the CCRE, which is the Central Criminal Records Exchange, that is maintained by the state police. And he wasn't even supposed to have a gun. So they're not only not only was not supposed to have a gun, but you got two agencies. I know the state police give them three. They give them like an AR, a shotgun, and their pistol. Washington County's probably giving him a shotgun and a pistol and probably an AR too. You know, I don't know what they give out, but they, they probably he at least has access to a pistol with high capacity magazines, uh, multiple magazines, all the ammo he wants. It's all going to be provided to him. So if he's no longer, if he was no longer with the Virginia State Police, see, I don't know this, but do does he keep the guns that were given to him, or does he have to send them back? No, no. He's issued firearms, and then he would turn all his equipment back into the state police. Gotcha. Okay. So he's, he's going to be issued a vehicle, uniforms, gun belt, uh, you know, pepper spray, handcuffs, all his equipment, rain gear, um, you know, shoes, uh, hat, uh, you know, different types of uniforms, dress uniform, work uniform, uh, and all that stuff has to be turned back in gotcha um badge credentials you know unless he you know it's it's you know not uncommon for somebody to snag snag a uniform or a shirt or a hat or something like that depends on how uh meticulous they were about inventorying his equipment right right um i was gonna ask was there anything or do you know uh, any anything of like he planned like it was planned to go kidnap this girl or was it like spur was it planned to go see this mysterious girlfriend and then oh I got this opportunity to yeah. kidnap this 15 year old like yeah. see I don't know any of that I would think that there would have to be some planning in that you know it's not like he drove across town you know he drove from Radford to Pulaski in 15 minutes you know Depending on how it drove, I mean, it would take you three days to get there by car. You know, it's... Uh, so they would have some thought about what are you going to take, where are you going to, where does she live, 
how do I get to where she lives? Um, you know, now I got to have money to get there. Uh, you know, so there would have to be some planning uh, because of the extent of that travel. Um, you know, again, it's not spur of the moment. Like, you know, I decide that, you know, I want to do something terrible in the town of Withville. You know, in 10 minutes, I could be there. Uh, and you could maybe construe that that would be um, spur of the moment. But to drive from here to Riverside, California, you know, if I said, you know, I just decided to do it, I would have to, you know, map things out, get some money, whatever I'm taking, you know. It'd be interesting to know if he stopped anywhere, if he slept in his car, you know, did he get pulled over by any cops on the way out there? Like right. the Idaho murder guys were? Yeah. Back to PA? That's kind of uh, what made me think of that is just what what was the, the situation of events that, that led to that? And something you brought up earlier about him buying that house in a salt bowl, you know, the basement being dark, windows tinted, you know, was the plan, I'll go, I'll kidnap this girl, and I'll take her back to Virginia and keep her in my basement. Well, and there's weird, I mean, that's not the kind of question you ask when you buy a house. I mean, yeah. You know, and and, and I'm not going to buy a house sight unseen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it kind of makes, it just makes me wonder, you know, if, if I'm going to use this as kind of like my... I don't know, my play area. This is where I go, you know. I mean, how common is it? How common is it for someone to tint their house windows like a car? Yeah, that is. I I don't know anybody tinting windows unless it's a commercial building and, uh, you know, they don't want sunlight in the lobby or, uh, you know, something like that. See, a lot of times when you, you investigate crimes and whatnot, you want to look at what's the norm. Uh, so what, what's the norm when you buy a house? How many people buy a house unseen? Yeah. Sight unseen. Does that happen? Yeah. Investors, whatever. This is a young guy that never, he never owned any property prior to this. He didn't own anything. He rented or lived with mom and dad. So if you're making your first home purchase, you know, I think I would probably have looked at the place. Uh, you know, that to me would be the norm. Yeah. Obviously, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, where do you see this going after this? What's come out recently? I think that the agencies will stick with, uh, we're not going to really say a lot. Um, we hope the impact of this diminishes. Uh, I, I'm afraid that, unfortunately, the scope of the Inspector General's uh, investigation may be limited. The governor can do that. I was somewhat troubled by the last statement that I saw the governor make in that um, he was questioned about it again. And his statement was like, this happened in 2016. We got to go back that far and and figure out what's going on. And I think that that's somewhat misleading in that this guy was a trooper a year ago. He was a trooper up until when? August. You know, he was committed these murders. I mean, this isn't, uh, you know, seven years ago. Sure. Yeah. Did some of this start seven years ago? But it, it, to me, 
that kind of lent itself into, well, this happened way back and we got to go way back there to figure it out instead of getting to the points of what were the failures, who's responsible for those failures. And um, again, saying, you know, we made some huge mistakes here and we're going to fix it. And it's not this, uh, you hit one F key and you get this search and we hit S key or whatever, you know, I've got the letter here. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, is that a mistake? That's one of the least mistakes that occurred in this. Probably the, the, I mean, that would be like saying you sent the email to the wrong address or, I mean, it was, that's the least mistake possible here. Um, and, you know, I just think that there's a lot of failures. This last search of this apartment, I think that's a huge, huge mistake of possibly uncovering other crimes and why you would not do that. The only thing I can think of is that, and I think in that one article, they had some law professor or whatever say, you know, they may be reluctant because they're scared of what they may find. And that's a sad statement. That is a very sad statement. Uh, because at this point, you shouldn't be looking at protecting your agency. You should be looking at it as how do we correct this, that it will never happen again. We're not worried about the what you, you would make yourself. If you're worried about public perception, you would make yourself from a PR standpoint, look much better if you're doing the right thing and you, and, and you're, you're, you're not yeah um i i have this theory like i think it's unfortunate that this crime happened around the same time the idaho murders happened yeah and where austin is dead now and the idaho killer is still alive the media seems to focus more on that and kind of overshadow this one but, I mean, obviously, that's a serious case. The guy's alive, though. But also, with this case, it seems to be, like, a bigger issue with the police, you know, having this flaw. And I just think that it needs to be uh, presented more to the public. Well, I mean, you know, when you pick out a flaw... This is an entire system that's flawed. Exactly. You know, that, to me in itself, when you talk about uh, public perception of the police is at an all-time low, is that not a reason as to why it is? Hmm. You know, like, I think that there are legitimate complaints when it comes to policing, and it's things like this. Who gets held accountable for these murders? If Austin is dead... Well, and I think it's the sensationalism behind it, as you know, and and in the last three weeks, I've got a really, uh, you know, anytime I deal with a case and I deal with different things, I always say I get an education in in another genre or something that I'm not familiar with. And the one thing out of this that I've gotten an education about is more high-end media and then local media is if you notice there's a very lacking coverage of local media about this you know sure they they publicize the initial things uh and then 
you know, it, it takes more high end people. And then when you start talking to them and you know, my family's six generations in Wythe County and I'm not being mean about the area. I'm not, you know, I'm proud to be from here. I live here, but these people are shocked at what goes on. And, and this is not an isolated case. In fact, today I worked with another media outlet that's going to be pretty big. I can't say who. Um, and we talked about things and I got off the phone with the reporter and I just Googled police officer arrested in Southwest Virginia. Within 30 minutes, I think I ported her like eight or nine cases that solely involved cops with underage individuals. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a real problem. That, that's not counting police called DUI, selling drugs, um, you know, things that compared to this crime are minor, but they're not minor when you're talking about a police officer. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen it in my career. Uh, you know, cops sleeping on duty, hooking up with girls on, on duty, uh, hooking up with informants. Uh, you know, I didn't even address that in the things that occur. Embezzling, you know, just recently had a Radford, I think he was a captain. He resigns within just a day, next day, he's charged with some type of inappropriate communications with a minor. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is so, it's so interesting because I feel like we hold police to a higher standard, but I think they also get away with a lot more because, well, you know, you're in a stressful job. You know, there's always an excuse for actions that happen, especially when it involves a police officer. And I think the... In this case, especially kind of with what Youngkin was talking about, like, well, this happened all the way in 2016. Well, just two years before that, he was talking to our victim, who was a 13-year-old, and he was a grown man. You know, like, it's not like if you wanted to just look at this one guy, you could probably go deeper than that and yeah. see where he had done something. But you did. You had that opportunity. And, and some people get mad at me, they'll go, you know, Jeff, you're bashing the cop. I've worked with some awesome police officers. Uh, and a lot of police officers uh, go to work. Uh, they're very sincere about their work. Um, but now law enforcement is much like uh, the football team or the sorority or the whatever. Brotherhood. So the, it, it lends itself to people looking the other way uh, or you know uh, we don't want to come out and address these issues because it makes us all look bad which but I'm in in the mindset of it doesn't it makes you look more credible to the public Mm. I think vulnerability shows that you're willing to be human and admit mistakes you know when I I think that the frat mentality, the you know, the fraternity sorority kind of mindset is if I go against my fellow officer, they won't have my back maybe when I need them. And that right there inherently creates, you know, 
like a an unspoken rule, you know? You're like, just you're you're going against the club. Yeah, the unspoken rule yeah. of law enforcement. It's like its own separate code. And I can tell you, you personal, I made a complaint about officer. And uh, it was a very serious complaint, and I paid a heavy price for it. You find yourself going on every call. Nobody shows up when you go on the call. Uh, you don't get any backup. It's not so prevalent in a bigger city or a bigger organization, especially in a city police department. Uh, but in the county or rural areas, you'll find yourself we used to call it, all the calls are dumped on you. Um, little things that you could use some help. So like you rest a DUI, it'd be nice if another officer shows up and stands by until the tow truck comes so you can go ahead and transport your officer. You find nobody shows up, you know, you're handling everything by yourself. And uh, it, it, it's just, um, you know, it's just what happens. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't take back anything in my career, the decision I made involving police officers. You know, if you're doing your job, you know, and in my court cases now, police officers, Commonwealth attorneys and whatnot, they get mad at me. And I say, look, if you did your job correctly, I'm the last person you need to worry about. When someone hires me and I look into something, I see mistake after mistake after mistake. And again, I had a murder trial the first year. My family was awarded $3 million. Two million punitive. Punitive shows you how big of a screw up it is. That's a huge verdict for Southwest Virginia. Uh, I've had drug cases dismissed, uh, abduction dismissed. Wow. You know, and that's not my fault. You know, I went out and did the job that the police should have done to begin with, and we would not have gotten to that point. And it's so bad, I have had, I have, you know, not to be graphic, to, to, to kind of give you an example, I had a case, uh, a sexual assault case, I testified in, it was a jury trial, uh, the charges were much lessened, the jury actually uh, had voted 11 to 1 for acquittal, my client took a plea bargain because the plea bargain was so minor. He just didn't have enough money to pursue the things. Uh, I was actually standing on the courthouse steps in this particular jurisdiction with a reporter from the Roanoke Times, and he was asking me questions. And when a group of cops came out, like, it, it, it reminded me of, like, this thug gang. And, uh, reporters standing there and these cops come out and go one of them says i can't believe you fucking testified in that case i told the reporter i said that's that's what you need to be reporting on there and he was shocked and i responded back to him i said if you had done your fucking job you wouldn't have to fucking worry about me sorry to be graphic that's what i said to him but that kind of gives you an idea of to the links that some of these people will do or be like if you oppose them or ask some questions. Do you think, what do you think that needs to be corrected? Like better examinations of an individual? No, I think everything's in place. I think you just do your job. Yeah. You know, if that guy had done his job, this he would have never been a police officer. 
yeah. if the background check guy had done his job, it would have never got any further. If uh, the four chains of command with the state police, if somebody had looked at this, uh, it would have happened. If somebody had bothered to get the records from the courthouse and saw he wasn't even supposed to have a gun, it wouldn't have happened. If somebody had, you all you had done was call the dispatch and said, has there even been any calls for service to any residence this guy lives in? Dispatch would said, oh yeah, we had a domestic. He was transported with a TDA, or emergency custody order. Never would have happened. Yeah. What? What? When, what are they doing? Like that. You can go on and on about what was in place. I think they're just rubber stamping. And you know, again, you you have here's the question: Does the polygraph guy need to be doing any more polygraphs? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, what's the repercussions of all this? Are they going to have well, any repercussions? Well, that's the sad thing is that if you if you notice in most all these cases, the officers are allowed to resign five minutes before they get charged, yeah. or they're allowed to resign in some of these minor things that I've seen over the years. They're allowed to resign and then they go to another department. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. man. That oh, happens. Yeah. All that not only happens in law enforcement, that happens in the educational. It happens in the medical, you know, people don't want the publicity. So, you know, the teachers gets in trouble, they go somewhere else and start teaching. Um, and there's no publicity. Yeah. You know, my personal opinion, like, I think it's very naive to think that anything could exist without some sort of peacekeeping measure, you know. And like you said, I think a lot of the things for the police are in place. They could get paid a little better, trained a little better. You know, I think things like that. But when we did the interview with Richmond, you know, all you hear is one bad apple spoils a bunch. But, you know, for me, it's like I think you have a bunch of bad apples and they're ruining your good ones. You know, I mean, if you are doing what you're doing and you haven't been a police officer in a long time I mean you're still making more of an impact than what they are because you have a true or at least from my perception you have a true love for justice you know what really is the right thing and well the the thing I'll say about myself and just like you guys we're not controlled by these people I don't depend on them for for job, they don't affect my business. Uh, sure, they may say it's only used to a fight. They're not going to affect my business. I don't need them for a um, recommendation. Um, no, uh, most of these people they have some kind of control over. You know, do you want to get transferred to the middle of nowhere for your next job? Do you want to be passed over for a promotion? Do you want to get uh, dinged on your next evaluation, which influences your pay raises? Um, so, you know, people like you guys and me, uh, we're not controlled by these people um, to where we can be much more honest about things yeah. um, than, than the people in these agencies. Yeah. There's a lot of good people. The reason I got to polygraph, there's good people that knew this was wrong and they wanted it out there. Yeah. But they, they couldn't do it for fear of repercussions. 
I mean, you know, good good cops get punished. You know, that's that's how it goes, and it's it's so sad to see. It's so sad because now there's three people dead in California because of the negligence of and other traumatic victims. Oh yeah, I mean. Well, and here's the saddest thing that I've seen in some of the the comments and things are that. Well, he would have done it anyway. <laughs> or uh, they did the best they could. Or the girl must have had something to do with it, too. Well, he oh, wouldn't have gosh. had that superiority if they made that case. Yeah. I mean, he was a cop. He had superiority. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would have had easy access to stuff. He's, tra- he's trained to make entries in the houses. He's trained in weapon proficiency. He's trained in um, a lot of things that he could have used to facilitate this crime. Yeah. Um, and again, you can what if it to death, but the odds of him committing this crime, I think, in my opinion, would be greatly lessened if he had never been a police officer. I agree. Yeah. I mean, he was having financial trouble if he never became a police he officer. Would have been more likely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he never would have been able to have access to the things that he had. Sure. You know, like. But it, he would have. He would have had the gun out there, and if if he did indeed use his badge and credentials, he wouldn't have had that. You yeah. know, think about it. If he if he did use his badge and credentials, uh, and but he didn't have that, would that family have let him into the door? Yeah, would they have called the police and said there's some, you know, creepy dude out here in the yard? We don't know who he is, um, and he could have used any of that stuff to give him that slight advantage. That uh, all you need is that slight advantage over people to perpetrate a crime, um, and you can go through the history of criminals. You know, serial killer, and this guy. You know, by killing three people, you know, he's on the cusp of being defined as a, a serial killer or a, a mass killer. Uh, yeah. I think the definitions are they've lowered it, you know, three people, four people, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you think about the history of, of, of notorious criminals, you know, take Ted Bundy. You know, he walked around with a crutch and a cast and, you know, he, he approached girls saying, help me carry my books. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize the brutality. You know, I've read all this stuff about the different ones. He uh, basically got you to the back of the car and had a crowbar and cranked you over the head and then did what he did, whether you're alive or dead. Uh, The BTK killer, he was like a compliance agent for code enforcement of that area. He used that as his advantage to get in touch with people and access their house or whatever. I think he was a dog catcher maybe too. Yeah, I'm actually uh, uh, listening to that audio book, Confessions of a Serial Killer, the BTK guy. Yeah, it's pretty great. But they all yeah. had some edge. You know, like, um, I think it was John Wayne Gacy, he would say, you know, let me show you this magic trick. Let me put you in the handcuffs. The handcuffs, yeah. 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 That yeah. one little edge to surprise somebody is all it takes. So did the edge that Edwards have, did he utilize his police equipment, credentials, who knows what he used to 
give him that advantage over his victims. Right. Well, we are just podcasters, but we are grateful that we were able to find this victim and get all that information out of his history. Um, I don't know what else we could do to help, but we would, I mean, we would help whatever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever we could. I mean, it's it's such a in, insane thing. I mean, you know, I, it's just surreal to think that this happened, mm-hmm. you know, and how many people did he interact with as a police officer? You know, how many people did he arrest or pull over or give a ticket to? And I brought up on one of the podcasts, how many people was he pulled over and then had his phone out talking to some underage girl, you know, because like we said, there's no way that he, he was talking to this 15 year old when he had uh, this mysterious girlfriend in California. Well, well, I'll put it it even worse than that. How many people did he see some good looking chick going down the street go, "Hmm, I'm going to pull her over. Yeah. How many yeah. times you say something inappropriate to somebody on a traffic stop or some kind of interaction with the public? I don't know. But you got to think that his history would lend itself that he would be a likely candidate to do something inappropriately on duty. Um, so, you know, uh, it's one of those things where uh, you, you'll never know that unless there's some subpoena power, there's a civil case, and, you know, there's some things that, you know, if if these agencies are smart, they would cooperate with people. Uh, But I fear that things have probably, uh, well, I I won't say that. I would hope they would do the right thing and not do anything to cover up anything any more than it seems like has happened already. Right. What I was getting at, it's just sad that regular people like us are figuring out, you know, the hidden criminal activity and then people having to go to private detectives, private investigators to figure it out. I mean, it's like we were talking about, like, there's no there's no control. Like, there's no real red tape that you have to follow for these processes whenever you kind of just throw your fishing line out there and see what will bite you know yeah you don't have to go through that and well can you imagine if you were doing an investigation and you say hey i'm josh officer josh guess what you could get yeah yeah oh oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) you know but the normal person well when you're a predator like that like you said, you're going to use whatever advantage you can. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he was on Omegle or whatever talking to people, especially after becoming a police officer and being like, oh, well, I am an officer, and if you get caught talking to me, I'll just say that I was doing this, and you'll get in a lot of trouble, mm. and you know, just however he could spin it into making it that advantage over, you know, if you're a 13 year old, you're not going to know any better. Yeah. I'm going to tell mom and dad or, you know, and another thing that's a part of law enforcement is that a lot of people don't talk about is that, you know, from a uh, 
perception in the public, you know, when you put on a uniform, people look at you much differently than if you're in street clothes. And I used to always say that, you know, you'll have girls look at you differently uh, and you can, you know, police officers have used that to their advantage for romantic reasons or whatever you want to, however you want to call it. But, you know, if I'm in street clothes and I go out in public, it's one thing. You're in a uniform and, you know, some people find that attractive. Uh, some police officers can use that to dominate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how you address that, um, you can twist that around to where it's inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Um, or different levels of inappropriateness. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that he probably learned very quickly, you know, one minute I'm a goofy kid talking about Roman noodles. Next thing you know, I got this shiny badge and a uniform. You know, my perception to members of the opposite sex is much different. He definitely used that for his advantage. Uh, Jeff, we're going to let you go. Um, is there anything that you want to uh, say before we let you go? Well, I think that, you know, you guys are doing a great service to the community and that, you know, it exposes, again, I don't think you guys or myself are, you know, police bashers or whatever. No. We're just stating the obvious, and I don't think any good police officer would want this to uh, be a norm uh, they would want to see things and that's been expressed to me by other law enforcement officers they would want to see this resolved and never happen again um, but I think that sometimes when you delve into these subjects you have to be brutally honest and sometimes that's not a very pretty thing to see or talk about and again it's not that we're armchair quarterbacking you know, from my experience of knowing how things should be done, uh, there's nothing about Monday morning quarterbacking about this. This is just stating the obvious. Right. Uh, and, you know, I hope that if there are any other victims with y'all's me- multiple social media platforms, that they would come forward. I think they would do the community a great service. Uh, and, you know, again, I think back about the search of this apartment. Are there other victims out there? Is there some other crime that could be uh, possibly solved? Uh, and people will need to get beyond uh, sugarcoating and softening the impact and do their jobs to make sure that the community, you're providing a service to community uh, of safety and um, integrity and trust. Uh, by doing the right thing. Yeah. Well, I guess time will tell. Um, hopefully people... Well, hopefully there's no other victims, but if they are, hopefully they do speak up. Um, well, Jeff, thank you for being on. It was... It was It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Honestly, it was awesome. It was a pleasure. I learned <clears throat> so much. Yeah. Yeah, anytime you guys need anything, just let me know. Like I said, uh, you know, I, I'm speaking from a background as an expert witness in homicide investigation police procedure, evidence collection, and several other categories. And that designation comes from judges and court cases. It's not me saying, I'm an expert. Yeah. These are people where I lay out my resume, 
I lay out my credentials and a judge makes that decision. So not to be braggy or whatever, I don't want people to think, you know, this is some has been right. in with County that doesn't have any type of knowledge about things. Right. Well, we, we definitely want to come back to you in a future episode to pick your brain because it seems like you got a lot of history with a bunch of stories. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely something that I am excited and a little scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little scared to get into, but yeah. really... Well, I, I appreciate you guys. I do commend you on, uh, you know, you, got, you two guys accomplished something that two police agencies didn't. One of the biggest or the foremost police agency in the state accomplished. Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, The amount of evidence that you guys obtained is over the top. Wow. We appreciate that. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, Jeff, I'll keep in touch with you. Um, And if we have to make another episode about this story, then we will. Um, Sure. But uh, we hope you... Unfortunately, I think there will be more to come. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Jeff. We yeah. appreciate it. You're welcome. Yep. Good night. Yep. Good night. See you. All right, everybody, we're back from the Jeff Pike interview. Wild stuff. Learned a lot. Learned a ton. Yes. Learned a ton. This guy's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I do think. I just want to make it abundantly clear. We do talk about the police in this. Yeah. And I think it would be unfair to say that, like, we don't support the police. Absolutely. Like, we, I fully support the police. Yeah, I think criticism is not a bad thing. Yeah. Criticism is not a bad thing. And what we talk about a lot in this is recognizing that the only way things can get better is if you recognize the issues at hand's. And try to fix them. What situation have any of us ever been in where if you don't communicate or you just push the problem away, that it fixes itself? That's never happened, ever. You have to face your problems head on. And I think that, you know, unless we all, you know, can kind of do that and be part of the the fixing, you know, you got to start somewhere. And if it starts with the polygraph person or it starts with a background check person or it starts with literally anybody, then you're working towards fixing a problem. But this is a big issue and it will remain an issue unless something happens. If this gets swept under the rug, we're only creating more opportunities for something terrible like this to happen. Like we're rooting for the police to, you know, own up to it and fix whatever was wrong. Vulnerability, you know. We're all human and mistakes can happen, but when mistakes like this happen, it costs three people their life. A little girl's life is now changed forever. Mm-hmm. The victim that we had, her life has changed from almost 10 years ago yeah. and everything that she's went through. And then whoever else involved in this, this is horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Many lives yeah. affected. This is a serial pedophile murderer. Creep. Creep, yeah. evil person. Creep. Yeah. What an episode that was. What an episode. Yeah. What an episode. If you guys enjoyed this episode, and if you want us to continue with this, let us know. 
You can call the hotline. You can text the hotline, 540-358-1583. Contact us on the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, uh, our personal Twitters, if you find us there. Um, Where else? Uh, Say Instagram. Yeah. Email. Email. At it's cryptic out there. No. It's cryptic out there at gmail.com. Yeah, at gmail.com. There you yeah. Go. The ats. Yeah, Instagram. I know. Yeah. Also, um, anybody interested in hoodies? Yeah. You know? We're we're thinking about it. Like if people are interested and you want it, like we'll have to have more than just like two people. Right. You know, because right. we're thinking of ways that we can make it happen. We and need just like a variety it, pack. Yeah. And, make it yeah. easier on everybody this yeah. time, but actually get like not take so long or just however we can do it. Yeah. Um, so if we could get like some good interest in there. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. And if you guys want to support the show, we also have the Patreon, like we said, beginning of, of the episode. It's only $5 a month. You get bonus content. You get early access to stuff. And you get stuff that you won't see on the regular show that might be very, very interesting. We got some. We got several new stuff on the Patreon right now. Pertaining to this story that you might be interested in, including the full conversations between the victim and Austin Lee Edwards. Yeah, if you, the whole conversation. Yeah, if you want to, if, if you, you want to read that, if you want to read, that. if you want to go through and you know get sick. I, honestly, I could understand if you are intrigued by what he says, because to me, and I've told Justin this, is that this is you look at the murder and just that. So, like you're seeing a really vulnerable and some of the I mean there's just this sexual garbage nonsense that's always being talked but through that you can see yeah the little vulnerability that he lays out to this 13 year old girl she was 12 though at that at, time at the, yeah at, at the time yeah. yeah 12 yeah sick Ugh. just sick but uh, also you know just I know I said it at the beginning of the show but Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah. You know, the L.A. Times, like, Justin and I just still can't believe it. Uh, Every, everybody's, like, cheering us on. I'm just, like, I'm just being calm right now because yeah. I don't know how to take it in. Yeah. It'll yeah. happen in a month. I'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. crazy. And then just, you know, our interview. Uh, ABC with, 8 News. Yeah, yeah, ABC 8 News. Like, that is crazy, you know. And um, really happy. Really happy to do what we do, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We just don't, you know, shoot the shit and laugh about it. And we're not, you know... Yeah. We're not just for the potheads out there. There's there's (laughs) jokes out... I mean... We are, but also... Not just them. (laughs) From the comment that we got. Yeah, yeah. But, like, seriously, though... uh, We try and do good. There's definitely... We, you know... You know, we're friends and we like to joke around mm-hmm. and everything. And, um, you know, we really want to try to do the victims justice whenever we do these things. Yeah. So if we're ever making fun of anybody, we're making fun of the piece of shit. Who that, yeah, calls all this who stuff. Who did this, yeah. you know. Uh, who or just, making fun of ourselves. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> because that's true. I can't read. <laughs> uh, Colonial. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I just don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, and I'm scared. I get scared. Yeah. Sit here, and I'm like, oh my gosh, now I gotta think about right. all this terrible stuff on yeah. my drive home. Let me remind you, Josh. I just put on some music and just kind of be like, la, la, la. All right. I'm not thinking about this. Yeah. All right, well, thank you all for listening and watching. 
there will be, you know, different episodes coming out. It won't just be. Right, right. (laughs) So uh, there'll be, you know, people who are fed up with the story. We get it. Um, We'll we'll add more content. But if there's more, you know, information that uh, you guys wish us to address about this, we will. Uh, we might bring it up, in a, even if we bring it up in every episode, we might just give like updates or something. Yeah, you know what's going on, and but you know at some point updates stop and all that. So yeah, uh, we'll leave it alone for now unless something happens. Right. We do have we have some really cool opportunities coming up. Yeah, that's true. You know, or some possibilities of yeah. what we can get into. Yeah, and some really cool stories. Absolutely. To give to you guys. Absolutely. So, yes. Uh, Josh. You're here as always, oh, always and I appreciate baby. that. Always, baby. <laughs> See, I didn't, I, I didn't say it the way I usually do. Yeah, yeah. I, I finally made it. Yeah, you're, you're always here. I'm always here. You're always here. Except for the times I get kidnapped by feral people. Yeah, and suck at this. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> if you want to go back 30 episodes, yeah, <laughs> relive that. All right, everybody. Lastly, watch your back. It's cryptic out there. Oh,